Hello, everybody. Today on our show, I had the opportunity of speaking with Daryl Glover, Chief Clinical Officer of iSolve. iSolve is a blockchain company building out a solution for pharmaceutical companies that want to be able to track their drugs throughout the entire supply chain life cycle of a drug. Daryl has a Doctor of Pharmacy degree, and he's also got an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. We discussed aspects of the pharmaceutical industry, including drug development, clinical research trials, and also post-marketing surveillance. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome. With me, we have Daryl Glover, the Chief Clinical Officer at BlockRx. The company is actually called iSolve, isn't it, Daryl? And then BlockRx is the product that you guys are working on right now that actually helps solve uh, the pharmaceutical industry's problem of tracking drugs throughout the entire supply chain. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about iSolve and then maybe go into BlockRx and what you guys are working on. Sure. Thanks, Ray, and thank you very much for having me on your show. So iSaw was founded in May of 2014 with a very specific focus, and that was to break down data silos, not just in the pharma industry, but also in healthcare, really looking at the life sciences industry altogether. So this is our focus, and we use blockchain in order to do that. Blockchain provides us two advantages. Uh, the first is that it is creates that interoperable environment so that data can move freely uh, within an organization or between organizations. And the additional benefit being that it can track that information from the origin all the way through, as you were talking about. It really has that data provenance component. You can say for 100% where that data came from, how it was transformed over time, which is really beneficial for both the business and especially in highly regulated industry like life sciences, makes it easier for regulators to go back and then uh, be able to track what's happening and you can answer the questions much more quickly than currently. So when you say from the beginning of the life cycle of a drug, you're talking about you know once a pharmaceutical company decides they want to mass produce a a drug, they have to buy raw ingredients, right? Something called APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients. And does the blockchain start recording or does it start, do you guys start using the blockchain from the moment of purchasing an API or do these pharmaceutical companies also um, connect to another blockchain that their original supplier might be using? Or what do you guys think about tracking the original supplier of the API? Yeah, so... From the pharmaceutical companies that we talked about, the initial focus is just when the API enters their facility all the way to the end. But what we've also told the manufacturers is that we can extend that all the way back to when the raw ingredients are actually being manufactured in the first place before they get to the pharma company. And they're very interested in that because the problem that they have with downstream visibility in the supply chain 
is very similar to what they have upstream as well. So they really like that idea of connecting everybody together, including the API manufacturer. But their focus now is just opens from the time the pack leaves the facility and goes on because of the Drug Supply Chain Security Act regulations. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean when, you know, the entire ecosystem you're trying to connect. Tell us a little bit about that ecosystem. So you have the pharmaceutical company and then downstream of the pharmaceutical company, you have patients, uh, you have doctors, providers, hospital systems. How are pharmacy benefit managers impacted by this? Can you tell us a little bit more about that network? Yeah, so if we look at the entire supply chain as it is, as you pointed out, it starts with the manufacturer, it goes to a wholesaler. From the wholesaler, it then goes to your local pharmacy, your doctor prescribes the medication, and then it ultimately goes to you. So right now, the manufacturer has some visibility into where the drugs go when they get to the wholesaler level, but after that, they don't know where in their particular network the medications end up. So this creates problems for medication recall because they don't know exactly where the medications are at, and it also creates problems with inventory. Typically, a pharmaceutical manufacturer has almost 300 days worth of inventory on hand which is about three and a half times what any other company would have to try to go with. Uh, so that's one, two particular issues. And then they have no visibility about the patient. So if they want to proactively monitor their drug, try to detect problems ahead of time, they don't have that ability to do that. The blockchain would give them a, that ability and prevent problems from coming up. When we do clinical trials, there's not always a way to predict how drugs are going to behave in the mass market. So there could be some problems that were never identified or even thought about that come up. And this way they can detect them earlier and prevent problems uh, among the patients that are taking the medications. I see. So when you're talking about blockchain, can you give me some examples of actually how this will work? Like how will a pharmaceutical company actually use this technology and you know, how is it going to impact their current processes? Yeah, so the way we designed our solution was not to affect their current processes, but to enhance them. So it's not about replacing existing infrastructure. It's about making a connection and a conduit so that it actually operates better. So, for example, when the manufacturer produces a drug and puts a serial number on it, they'll know where that serial number will end up in the supply chain. Now, serial numbers are brand new. This is something that's starting to come online now. In the past, we had no way to even connect the medication to a specific person, but serialization allows us to do that. And it's not just U.S. regulation, it's global. So from that standpoint, when it goes to the wholesaler, blockchain can transmit that information to the wholesaler so they have that record. That can then get transmitted to the individual pharmacy because the pharmacies will need to be able to track back. If an inspector comes in from the state board and says, hey, tell me about where this drug came from, they would be able to look at the serial number and the whole history would come up. There's not a system that's even remotely in place that will facilitate that today. And once that's in place, then we just add the extension, which is an R model, to the actual level of the patient. So imagine a medication recall occurs, that can get right to the patient right away, 
and they can be told exactly what they need to do to return the drug, if they need to worry, or if they have some other questions or follow-up. That could happen almost instantaneously, whereas now it goes through this very cumbersome type process. So that's just one example of how that can work. Now, on the other hand, what's really most important is improving the patient's outcome. So now that the manufacturers could be potentially connected to the patients, the doctors would have better visibility into what the patients are taking, the pharmacists would. Now we can incentivize patients to participate in their wellness, to follow their treatment plans, and to make sure they're actually taking their medications. And if they're having problems, get those problems reported. So now we're bringing in all the power of pharmaceutical manufacturers, physicians and pharmacists together to ensure positive patient outcomes. Do you think some of these patients might feel like their privacy is being invaded because now the pharmaceutical company that has made the drug that they're taking know whether or not they're taking their, the drug? And now, uh, has there been any conversations around how this might impact patient privacy? Well, from that perspective, patients always have the option of whether they want to share their information or they don't want to share their information. So it's the an opt-in type of make... thing. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, exactly. It's opt-in, but the benefit for them opting in is that they could potentially be rewarded by use of, you know, in our case, our BlockRx tokens um, to get to be incentivized to participate. So if they answer a survey about their medications or they're reporting back to their physician, they could collect these tokens. These tokens could then be used to get discounts on their co-pays for their over-the-counter medications, for the physician co-pays, really starting to decrease the cost of care. And we know that when patients are more active participants in their care and not just passive, that their outcomes generally will tend to be better. Right. And uh, my question for you now is, do you think, what's the adoption look like? What has the adoption looked like so far? Is it, how have pharmaceutical companies reacted to the service that you're trying to provide at the moment? Well, surprisingly, in the pharma industry, they've been very positive. And the reason for that is they know that there's a problem that they have to solve that they don't have a solution in place for. And usually pharma waits until everything is established and looks good before they look at new technology. But every pharma company has been very proactive. They all have pilots going on actively, internally, looking at these types of solutions, get familiar with them to see how they can benefit. And they all realize that having these serialized products, which is a very expensive endeavor for them to implement all the technology just to serialize the drugs, has such big benefits at the end that the cost will you know, be quickly mitigated. So they're very positive about using the technology. And recently, I was just at a conference sponsored by the Center for Supply Chain Studies. Uh, the FDA was in attendance, the World Bank, Health and Human Services, pharma companies, wholesalers. And so we really had a good opportunity to kind of educate everyone as to where we are with the blockchain. And in an article that I was recently quoted in in, uh, Bloomberg, looking at blockchain and the opioid crisis in conjunction that I did with Intel, 
the press person from the FDA said that they are very actively looking at and interested in blockchain technology. So it seems like we have everything in place where regulators are open to it. Pharma manufacturers are definitely looking at it from a solution standpoint. And major organizations like Intel and Microsoft are sponsoring platforms in order to uh, make the blockchain easy and implementable for organizations. Right. And that leads me to the question of how is your current blockchain architecture structured? Are there nodes? Is each pharmaceutical company a type of node? What type of blockchain is it running on? Yeah, so in our particular solution, uh, what we envision happening because, you know, manufacturers are very competitive, they would want to make sure that their particular set of information was isolated. So we would see each manufacturer running a node. And let's just say, for example, we're talking about five manufacturers, so each would have their own node. But that would probably ultimately feed into one wholesaler node because the wholesaler needs to have all of that information. And then on the other end, the pharmacies themselves, the Walgreens, CVSs, and independents, are also very competitive as well. So again, each of those pharmacies would then have their own node to make accessing data quite easy. And each node would really only have the data that they need. So for example, you know, you know, Walgreens node wouldn't know the sales uh, uh, for the wholesaler, how much they're buying from all the different pharmaceutical companies they're buying from. It would just be particular to their input and output. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Because the nice, the benefit of blockchain is that through the use of public and private keys, you control access in terms of what data is actually visible. So even though it's decentralized, even though everyone has a copy of the ledger, they don't necessarily see all the data. They just would see a bunch of hashes unless their particular key unlocked it. Right. So yes, as you're saying, they would only see the drugs that they received. That's the only ones that they would be ultimately interested in anyway. Do you see it potentially going in the direction of a public blockchain as maybe the technology improves and certain privacy features are introduced? Or do you think that it will stay in a private blockchain throughout the life cycle of this technology? Yeah, I mean, I think specifically it will primarily just stay in a private blockchain just because of the concerns that people don't want their data decentralized on every computer on the planet, um, especially when we're talking about healthcare data. So if you look at Europe, for example, a patient's healthcare data cannot leave the bounds of the European Union. So that by itself would restrict access anyway. And I think both patients and companies would feel much better having much more control over their information and where it went to. But it could come to the case where there might be one or a few ultimate private blockchains that the industry is using. That would be possible. So I know BlockRx is also building a uh, patient app. Is that right? So on this app, is it going to be possible for a patient to identify exactly where their drug was manufactured, which batch it was, when it happened, um, and verify that it has gone through the supply chain without any sort of interference and verify that it's not a counterfeit product? Is that the goal here uh, with the patient app, or is it more 
Tell me a little bit more about you, what the patient app is intended to do. Yeah, so that actually what you're saying is exactly one portion of that. Um, so what will happen is the patient won't actually need to do anything because the information will go automatically from the pharmacy dispensing system straight to the patient's app. So they would have a complete and updated record of their medications. And they would have a symbol indicating that this is an authentic drug. If they wanted to check and see the history, they could just click on it and then they could see, you know, when it started, you know, as far back as it went. Uh, so that's definitely one aspect of it. The other aspect is messaging. Uh, we want to be able to have that fluidity of communication. So communicating with either physicians, with the pharmacy, with the manufacturers themselves, answering surveys, getting updated education material, things like that would all be part of it. Now, one other thing, ideally, that we would really like to see uh, we have another strategic partner in the UK by the name of SoftMat. SoftMat has this really great technology where you can actually serialize an individual tablet. So in the instance where someone would, for whatever reason, get medications outside of the country because they happen to be there or they ordered them through an online pharmacy, if they wanted to validate that those medications were correct, these really small micro nanoscale imprints with the serial number, they could scan it and then know, you know, is that drug legitimate? Is it counterfeit? And is it stolen? Is it or missing from the manufacturer's serial numbers? So ultimately, that's where we would like the industry to go to for 100% security. Right, that's really interesting. And there's also uh, companies that are working on pills that once you take them, they'll also be able to you know, verify that you've actually taken them. They'll notify the doctor, for example, that you've taken your daily pill or maybe your loved ones uh, that you know your grandmother or grandfather has taken their appropriate pills for the day. So are you going to try to integrate or what's your plan looking at biodegradable sensors? Yeah, I mean, IoT, AI... They're huge parts of what our ultimate plans are because it's not just the medications, as you said. So, yeah, so there's several ways that that could be done. One would be, you know, as the medication came out of the pill, out of the bottle, you know, a sensor could go off showing that it was removed. That's one opportunity. Second would be more what you're talking about, which is along the lines of some of the companies where they put a film over it and that film then transmits information to a biosensor. Um, indicating that you took it and then sort of, you know, how you're behaving. Um, and that's been at least the one company that I know that's doing that. Initially, they're targeting towards clinical trials, but definitely has an application for what you're talking about. But we're also talking about, you know, glucose meters and mm -hmm. scales and blood pressure meters. I mean, there's all right. sorts of opportunities for patient data to be gathered from that perspective. If we think about clinical trials for a moment and the complexities behind doing all of that and organizing it and just the, the mere cost of doing uh, a clinical trial and the time it takes, I feel like, you know, BlockRx, uh, these types of innovations, it can help extend a clinical trial. So it's not so much phase one, two, three. Uh, it'll go beyond phase four and it's just continuation of 
studies that are done in real time with people. And I think blockchain has the capability to create that interoperability with data. So um, do you see that the FDA and other regulators are looking at using blockchain technology to actually change or, you know, revolutionize almost the way that we do clinical trials? Um, I don't know if the FDA is per se looking at, you know, the revolutionary part. Obviously, their main concern is public health and safety. So anything that would facilitate that. So as you were saying, for a phase four trial, post-marketing surveillance trials, what I was talking about a little bit earlier, they would definitely be interested in having that process work much more proactively, I'm pretty sure, than, as opposed to how it is now. But you're correct in terms of looking at what the possibilities are for drug companies detecting new indications for medications. They're always looking for ways to do that. So yeah, instead of running an expensive clinical trial, they could sign up patients that are already using their medication that they would have an awareness of and then monitor them over time and see if they find things. There's a lot of medications that started out for one use and then a whole other use or a whole other possibility of uses and for the same disease or for completely different diseases come up. So yeah, that's really good insight. That's exactly what they would be looking to do. Speed up that R&D process because pipelines are very challenging for manufacturers trying to come up with new drugs and finding ways to extend the patents and doing that in a much more cost-effective way. The goal, we would all hope, would ultimately lower the cost of producing medications if things can be much more efficient. Very interesting. Uh, So, you know, I was reading an article the other day about vaccinations and how to verify someone has been vaccinated in in the entire world. It's it's not actually as easy as it seems in the United States and other parts of the world. It's something that's a huge challenge. How can BlockRx actually help with the vaccine uh, industry? Or is that even part of your roadmap? Um, well, all drugs are part of our roadmap. I mean, I haven't specifically addressed that particular issue in terms of outside of tracking the medications. But yes, it could just as easily be done so that when the vaccine's administered, you would um, scan the bottle, so you know which serial number it was, match it to the patient, and then, you know, give them the injection, and then you would have that complete record of which vaccination they received. Right, and it'll make um, it a lot easier for the patient to follow up when they when they need to check up to see if they've received their vaccine, if they're going on a trip, for example. Yeah, no, definitely, and also it makes it easier for um, reporting purposes, and you can send them reminders So there are certain vaccines, like, for example, you should get an annual flu shot. So you can get sent a reminder that by that. If you're over the age of 60, you should get vaccinated for against pneumonia. So you can get reminders about that. So not only can the vaccines, you know, be tracked, you have that record. You can also receive reminders in order for which vaccines you should get based on your diseases and what you currently have to ensure your health. Right. And one of the advantages of blockchain technology actually allows for that record to be immutable. So you you know that it's always going to be there. So you can always go back and check up on it as opposed to, uh, you know, software that's sitting on a centralized server somewhere with a company. 
what if there's an issue and there's some information that was put into the blockchain or a pharmaceutical company representative or somebody that was actually working, a, you know, actually a supplier or somebody who was a manufacturing agent put the wrong label on a bottle in the pharmaceutical company and then it was put onto the blockchain. So now you have this incorrect record online. Blockchain having that advantage of immutability now has this disadvantage of you can't make a change to it. Um, is there something different with your ledger technology? Um, yeah, so that's a very real problem and a lot of recalls are generated because of label mistakes, either mislabeling or printing errors or things like that. Uh, so what's nice about the blockchain is yes, it's immutable, but on the other hand, it creates that record. So because the medications are serialized, you have an anchor. So what would happen is when that particular serial number was updated again, it would say status recall in order to pull those medications back. And then from a regulatory standpoint, we could say, okay, well, why was this drug recalled? Oh, well, the label was misprinted. So then pharma companies could much quicker drill down into problems. Regulators could see maybe on a more global scale what are common recalls that are going in a much more efficient way. And then you add AI into that. Um, and then you know the regulators could be tipped off and say, hey, all of a sudden we have all these labels are misprinted from all the manufacturers around the world, what's going on? Um, so you know, it could make detecting problems much quicker and doing that kind of trend analysis to correct them in a much faster and more iterative way. So right now I can imagine you guys are traveling, kind of bringing up that awareness about BlockRx and iSolve. What do you think are the resources right now that would help the healthcare industry adopt blockchain tech more quickly? Um, I think the main thing is that people have to understand at a baseline that blockchain is not new technology. So people have heard blockchain only for the last eight years or so. They think it's something new, but it's really not. The underlying technologies behind it, cryptography and the use of public and private keys go back to the 1940s and 1970s respectively. So within IT, within technology, the well-respected, well-known, well-put-together technologies, blockchain is a new implementation. So that's the first thing. They shouldn't have to worry. It's not new tech. The second thing is they need to disaggregate this idea of blockchain and cryptocurrency. So blockchain has nothing to do with Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever other cryptocurrencies. All the blockchain does, it's recording those transactions. That's where it came from. But it's the power of what the blockchain can do is what they should focus on, which are the issues we talked about, data provenance, interoperability. So you don't need to have cryptocurrency associated with a blockchain solution for it to work. It just depends on what kind of model. In our case, we only look at it in terms of being an incentive to bring people into the network, but it's not really needed in order to record data into the system. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think you're, you're right. The ideas, the theory behind blockchain and creating a distributed network has been around for a while, but uh, I do think that Bitcoin was the one of the first major types of blockchains. 
uh, and, right. and primarily for use of electronic cash. Um, now, and I, I do know that you have a token yourself, your, your company, and you did hold an ICO, an initial coin offering. Can you tell me a little bit about you know how you guys were planning for the ICO? How was it during the ICO? And what are some of the after effects afterwards? Yeah, so in our perspective, we came to the idea of a token not as a primary way to fund the project, but more it was an afterthought. So it came down to the idea we were trying to create an incentive program, and so how do we do that? And we came up with the idea of using a token in order to be that incentive, that kind of bridge, kind of an objective way to talk about ways to, for example, manufacturers and wholesalers to buy data from each other without talking about cash and getting all the complications around what people's ideas are about cash, right? It just kind of makes it objective. So we looked at it as a way to solve problems. We then use that as a tool more for marketing to kind of test our ideas and see what is the interest. So what we found was that, as we suspected, there was a lot of global interest in using um, this type of solution in a healthcare scenario. So that kind of just reinforced for us what was positive about that. And there are always a lot of headaches when you're running an ICO in terms of like trying to keep track of what's happening and trying to the development and contacting people and answering questions and making sure everything is very um, straightforward and clear. So when we started, there weren't certain technologies in place. Um, so we were doing a multi-currency ICO where we were taking Bitcoin, Ether, and Litecoin, as well as cash. And there wasn't anything in place that could do all of that. Now, shortly after, there's been some innovation where you can do multiple cryptocurrencies, for example, um, to do that. So it was a headache from record-keeping standpoint and things like that. Uh, but we got we got through it, and I think it was a good experience for us, and it really just kind of re-emphasized for us the importance of what we're doing and the path that our project was on. Very cool. And can you tell me a little bit about the team and maybe how it's expanded, how many people are on the team? Yeah, so our core team consists of four people. Um, with backgrounds from cryptography to implementing Fortune 500 IT systems. Uh, so we have both the technology, subject matter expertise, which I provide, as well as expertise in blockchain. So that's kind of the core group. And then we have this expanded group through our BlockRx project, which has more subject matter experts from supply chain and marketing, you know, actual blockchain implementation experience. So it's just kind of this really wide and evolving group that we have in place put together. So whenever we approach a project, we already know we have the expertise. And that's just with us. This isn't including partners like your Encore that we have that has a whole depth and a deep bench of life science experts that are highly experienced with 20 plus years of experience. So we really are in a strong position and on the technology side, Intel is our strategic partner um, already. 
uh, hopefully soon Microsoft will be as well. And that just adds even more. And Intel and Microsoft for us are key players is one, they have a joint project together uh, using the Intel's Hyperledger platform, which is our selected platform for blockchain. Now, our solution can work on any blockchain platform, not really an issue, but we specifically are sticking with this because we see this as an enterprise-ready solution, and we believe that pharma companies and other organizations of that size will want to work with organizations that are well-established and well-known in the technology space. And I can't think that people would not feel secure working with Intel and Microsoft as part of the team. Right. So, wait. So that's kind of interesting. You're saying that your current, uh, block, you can interoperate with different blockchains. So let's say you wanted to uh, migrate over, take BlockRx and migrate to the Ethereum network. That something that you guys can do uh, pretty quickly, is what I understand. Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of different ways. One would be, you know, if for some reason somebody wanted to use our platform with Ethereum, we would just connect Ethereum to it. Um, but what's nice about what Microsoft and Intel have done in their Cocoa framework is exactly what you're saying. So right now, uh, because this is the only discussion that I've had with them, Ethereum and Hyperledger can communicate directly with each other. They are truly interoperable because Microsoft has inserted some code that allows those two systems to interact with each other over their platform which is another reason why we're kind of migrating to that Intel Microsoft uh, platform is because of the interoperability, which I think will be critical in a longer term basis. Do you think you can share a few other pharmaceutical company partners that you might have? Yeah, unfortunately I cannot because of the NDAs okay. and they don't really like to be out in the public. <laughs> That's fair. That's a thought. I'd give that a shot and see if um, you had an answer, but I understand. Um, so, but I can share one other thing with you, though. Um, mm -hmm. The city of Lafayette, Louisiana, is just recently initiating a blockchain city project. So their goal is to make their city a living lab for blockchain implementation and technology. And we're going to be part of that um, lab and setting up systems in the healthcare space. So they're very innovative, very forward-looking, and we're really looking forward to partnering with the city of Lafayette in that process. Hmm, very interesting. I, I wonder, so I don't think that you guys are the only uh, organization that's actually doing this, and I'm kind of curious about your competitors and how you view them and what kind of relationship you might be having with other people, other companies that are working on the supply chain industry in pharma? Um, well, we're always open to working with multiple partners. Uh, we don't really have any issues around that as long as there's some kind of complementary um, working opportunity between us. So we're, we're always open and we're always looking for people to assist either the people that might have more traditional type solutions and they want a full blockchain solution or for organizations that maybe have a blockchain solution but don't necessarily have a user interface for it, which we already have. So we kind of have that complete package with everything. And, you know, however, 
other organizations we need to use it we're always open to those discussions and looking at different consortiums and networks and things along those lines welcome to the health unchained news corner today's bloomberg article is titled can blockchain fix the opioid epidemic intel wants to find out in the article it says the idea here is to pinpoint where drugs leak out of the supply chain doing so will help actually reduce the street supply of these drugs including fentanyl heroin oxycontin the fda is really interested in the idea they know that it's an early process but they are willing to work with different companies and startups to really try and get this technology working Intel is working on fighting the opioid prices as part of a broader industry effort coordinated by the Center for Supply Chain Studies. Its aim is to help the pharmaceutical industry comply with the recent Drug Supply Chain Security Act, which requires companies to better track medicines. Check out the episode notes if you want to learn more. There's a link to the Bloomberg article. And now back to our conversation with Daryl Glover from ISOLV. What's interesting, you guys, you know, started in 2014. Has there been some sort of shift of the way people receive your message after last year's huge uptick in the market? Has there been like more interest, for example, um, re- more recently, or has it been gradual this whole time? What are you, what are you seeing in the market in general from investors and users? Um, I would definitely say from an investor perspective. In the last year, we're getting contacted much more frequently from investors. Um, that for sure has changed. In terms of pharma interests, uh, it's been pretty much the same. And what's interesting in our case is that we have never had to go after a pharma client. They have always come to us. So every single person that we've spoken to and all the major pharma companies about all of their issues and challenges have been ones that have found us either through blog pieces or podcasts like yours, webinars that we've done, things along those lines. So the interest is there and they're searching and finding companies that are doing that. Are you are, are you guys also working with consortiums or like organizations that are specifically, you know, pharma um, based? Um, There aren't a lot of consortiums out there at the moment, specifically for blockchain. Um, We are looking at some consortiums that are more on the healthcare side, which is then looking at the interoperability, as you had mentioned earlier, between hospitals, physicians, pharmacy benefit managers, and pharmacies themselves. Um, we're just joined one that's called Health Combex, which is in the Nashville area, and we literally just joined them yesterday well, congrats. um so yeah so we're looking for some good opportunities to work with them to kind of promote blockchain technology to help educate since i myself am a healthcare provider and have all the pharma experience as well it's easy for me to speak to them in their language because i know what the problems are i know what their issues are and then i can tell them how the technology will alleviate that so what are the, some of the most common questions that you get when they, you start talking about BlockRx? Are they first uh, questioning what blockchain is immediately, or do they tend to have a sense of an idea of what blockchain can do? 
Yeah, everybody we have spoken to because they've come to us, they already know about blockchain. And so what we tend to do is just do a very quick overview, very focused, kind of looking at more of our approach um, as opposed to educating on the technology and how itself it works. Um, so that's, you know, in a lot of ways, the way I look at it is it's sort of like people that are interested in having a Word, pro a Word document, right? Um, or an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you don't need to educate them on that. They already know that they need something like that, but they need to understand how it fits. So really all of the questions we get are application oriented. How can you solve my problem X using blockchain? And then we show them and show how we can interconnect it. Interesting. So I was looking through your white paper and uh, on your website as well, and you talk about your advanced digital ledger technology. So with blockchain, there's tons of buzzwords with distributed, decentralized, trustless. Can you explain what ADLT uh, is based on yeah. how you guys use it? So really ADLT is our platform solution. It's the integrated solution that looks at everything from the um, active user interfaces to pull data from the system to placing it onto the blockchain and then for people to be able to use it, to look at the user interface. Because if you saw data that went to a blockchain, you would see just a string of numbers that mean absolutely nothing to anybody because there's no way to decode it. So our user interface presents that information in a way and in a process that's usable for people and allows it to be reportable as well. And is this something, you know, how quickly are you iterating on that UI? Because I feel like that's um, one of the major things that's going to help lead to adoption is, you know, what what these companies, pharmaceutical companies have now is, um, you know, planning system software that can is somewhat easy to use. I wouldn't say really great. It's still pretty old SAP uh, and things like that. But I feel like that's, you know, fixing and making the user experience just so easy is going to be one of the important things here. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And what's nice about having the blockchain as a backbone is that data doesn't change. That connection to the blockchain doesn't change. All you do is constantly fix and update the user interface to make it more usable. So we're actually trying to drive towards a solution to make it as easy to use as downloading Microsoft Office and using it. So we're going to have a set of preset um, active programming interfaces or APIs as opposed to active pharmaceutical ingredients <laughs> yeah. um, that will draw the data right out of the system, place it into our blockchain platform, which will be the Hyperledger Cocoa framework using Microsoft's Azure platform. And the user experience will be very simple. It'll be, you know, sign up your name, what's your company, what do you want to do, and everything else will happen automatically in the background, and then they'll be set up on the blockchain. The key thing, though, is that you need to at least have two participants in order for a blockchain to be effective. So, you know, in that way, they would need to then invite at least one other participant, whether internally or externally, depending on their goals, in order to get that process started. Right, and 
the data that would go on the blockchain, can you talk about what fields or what kind of data you're talking about? So, you know, for example, one would definitely be the actual API name or the brand name of the drug. Um, but can you go into a little more detail about what kind of information could be provided in the blockchain? Yeah, I mean, there's a wide range of information that could be put on there, such as the national drug code, lot, expiration date, serial number. There could be location information. So going back to IoT, we really see that it's important to be able to track a drug in transit. It's not only knowing where it's at, but knowing what temperature conditions that it's been exposed to. So one of the pharmaceutical companies we spoke to said, well, it's great we have something to record temperature, but we don't know until after the drug delivered if it's out of specification. And they want to be able to act immediately and replace that drug before they have to do something much more expensive. Um, so basically that would be the rough information and then knowing where its ultimate destination is as it transits through the entire supply chain. Are you guys getting a lot of traction outside of the US? Or you said you had some partners in the UK, but what about countries like uh, India or China? Uh, there, We have not had any contacts in China yet, but definitely there's interest in India, Europe, and the US. Um, and I believe in other places as well. It's just we haven't been contacted by them. But you have to keep in mind that all the pharma companies are global. So it doesn't matter where you first contact them, whether it's the European division or the U.S. division. Ultimately, what's going to be implemented will be a global implementation. I see. Uh, very interesting. So what do you have on the roadmap? What does your team set out for, to do in the rest of 2018 and 2019? Yeah, so what we're focusing on now, there's a very specific regulation in the U.S. that's coming into effect in 2019, where the wholesaler, when they get a returned medication from a pharmacy, have to validate whether that serial number is still active. So the manufacturers are struggling a bit on how they're going to present that information. The wholesalers want it, of course, as easy as possible to fit into their network. So we're going to be applying our solution to that very, very narrow application for 2019 to solve that problem for them. And then once that's done, they can then expand it to its full capabilities for the 2023 of full track and trace. Other things that we've added are for full medication recalls to be propagated, as we talked a little bit earlier about, and specifically for pharmacies in rural settings, we have what we call borrow and loan. So if you're a small rural community pharmacy with very little money, or a hospital, I should say, as well, very little money, very thin margins, you don't want to carry expensive medications and you want to get them when you need them. So often what they do is they'll borrow them for um, tertiary major medical centers or universities um, that would have these medications on stock as part of their um, for teaching and things along those lines. And then they just loan them. Now there's a bunch of requirements that now have to go into effect. So our solution can then handle all of those new requirements where currently things are just recorded on a piece of paper. Uh, there'd be a much more formalized process. 
And without this, you know, we're looking at patients in rural and settings not getting access to the medications that they would need in a timely manner. So we see this as a really, really important application. And this was developed with our partner, Excellus Health. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so uh, I was wondering, when you're talking to these potential trade partners and pharmaceutical companies, is there some extra mechanism you guys have put in place to start the interest or spur activity? Yeah, well, the fortunately, fortunately, the U.S. government has taken care of the spurring the interest part because of the regulations. So that of in itself gets them started. Uh, but yeah, exactly what you said, when we're looking at what the broader picture is and the broader opportunities and getting um, the data. So we spent a lot of time talking to pharma companies about what the opportunities are with the data, where they can get it, how they can get it more efficiently. Because currently now they spend a lot of money trying to figure out where their medications are in the market and they're buying their data back from organizations, third parties. And that data, as I've been told from pharma companies, is it's old, so it's not actionable, like up to 90 days late. And it's not always accurate either. So this, you know, implementing our solution gives them that accuracy and much more real-time visibility than they currently have. Hmm, okay. Uh, I was also wondering, is there is the BlockRx patient app, has that been released yet or is that still uh, being developed? Yeah, no, that currently is still in development. Okay. Um, how else can people connect uh, with BlockRx or iSolve? What, what ways can they get involved? Um, well, basically, they can just contact me directly. Um at my email address, because we're always looking for new partners, new opportunities. Uh, very shortly, we're going to be releasing the link to our demo platform so that you know patients, companies, wholesalers, pharmacies can sign up and just play around with it. Um, and then once they're there, once they see what they like, then we can bring people on from that standpoint. And for patients, they're always going to have free access to the platform as it's being rolled out in the new iteration. Well, thank you very much. I think this was a really interesting conversation. Is there something do you want wanted to add or was there something you wanted to include in the conversation uh, that might have missed? Uh, no, I, I think we're I think we're good. I mean, I think the main takeaway from all of this is that, Yes, blockchain is being implemented to satisfy regulations, but ultimately what we're looking at um, is really focusing on the patient and making their lives better to prevent, to make sure that they're getting the medications that they need, to make sure that they're safe, they're effective, and that they're getting the positive outcomes that they can have to enjoy their life. Very good. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, uh, BlockRx. Thank you, Daryl Glover. Thank you, listeners, as well. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. 
If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.